As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And now... Everyone, this is Dean Hagel from the Office of Rational Exuberance here in the heart of the historic core in the middle of downtown Los Angeles in the in middle of the Art Deco winter that is the Eastern Columbia. I am Dean Hagelin. This is your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour and I'm here with your co-host, Mr. Phil Ernest, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Dean Hagelin. Uh, welcome. welcome everyone to this President's Day edition. President's Day. Of your Chill Pack Hollywood that Hour. That explains the powdered wig. I didn't realize what that was about when you came in. I, uh, you know, it is interesting because it is one holiday on which we record a podcast each and every year because it's always a Monday. That's always a Monday. Isn't that fascinating? And, you know, Canada has recently instituted Louis Riel Day on this very same holiday. Is he the most interesting man in the world? Is that who it is? (laughs) He's fascinating. He was actually a uh, a rebel. He was uh, advocating a... um, uh, Métis rebellion against the government, who was then. I'm going to cut you off right oh, there yeah, because this care. is incredibly anti-patriotic <laughs> on President's Day. No, who it's very gives a flying f about? Look, we have many international fans, is what I'm saying. No, I know we, I know we do, and so, at the same time, who gives a flying America, love it or leave it. <laughs> Oh, no, oh in fact, God. I actually want to start not with uh, President's Day, but with birthdays. Oh, celebrity! A couple birthdays. of birthdays. I was at celebrity. <laughs> yes, in in some ways, celebrity birthdays. In fact, I can argue that both of these are celebrities. Certainly, the first one is. I was uh, at a birthday party uh, yesterday for our friend Mr. Tucker Smallwood. Ah, Tucker. And that was lovely. Fantastic. Uh, It was great. It was great. He seemed to really enjoy having people over for his birthday. He, As far as I know, he'd never done that before. Really? So, uh, you know, old horse, new tricks. Yeah, there you go. Great cake. A cake he invented. What? It came from a bakery, but he invented it. They actually apparently had never done anything like this cake before. bizarre. And all I will say in description of this cake is it was impossible to eat it slowly or in any kind of measured way. I got a plate with this gigantic portion of cake and it was bite, swallow, bite, swallow, bite, swallow. I mean, you it was just... Wow. 
delicious. You know, people always say, oh, it's the crack cocaine of uh, cakes or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know if people always say that. I, I've never I'm heard that saying term. that people always say that. <laughs> but I was addicted after the first or second wow. bite. And then as soon as it was done and I put the plate down, not only my body, but my whole spirit went into shock <laughs> afterwards. Wow, spirit shock from cake. What, is there any leftovers? Might uh, there was a, there were a lot. I think. Really, and, uh, and Tucker good. cooked, and Tucker's a wonderful cook, and uh, so it was, it was really a lot of fun. Tucker happy, might get an email. Happy birthday, Tucker Smallwood. Happy birthday, Tucker. You know who else has a birthday today? Let me guess. I don't know. Aaron Petrulis. Really, our longtime fan and listener uh, and friend, the lovely Miss Petrulis, is twenty what years oh old? Uh, Seems just yesterday. Today. Well, I mean, she's been with us since the beginning. Yes. And uh, this was, uh, I remember I was writing letters of recommendation for her. I was on tour over in England where she was in the audience. One of my highlights of 2011 was getting to see her uh, the day of our Charleston screening at uh, College of Charleston. Oh, that's right. Which she was helping to promote and uh, getting to see her working the ice cart, the icy cart <laughs> that she was pushing all over Charleston. Wow. Uh, she'd become buff. Well, I guess so. Icy a, carts are not light. No, and don't kid yourself. Charleston, Jesus, it's There's like pushing hills. a ICy cart in Manila. It's <laughs> it's so uh, humid. Ah, uh, yes. Right, I and see, there I are so many rebels. Let a lot of hills. Well, there are hills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, an icy cart's a heavy thing to push up a hill. So uh, anyway, Aaron you know. uh, is a celebrity not only to us though, but uh, to all those who are proud owners of one of the DVD versions of "The Truth Is Out There." Oh, because after all, her uh, beautiful visage graces the artwork for. The That's truth is out there. Right. A secret is out. There it is. The secret is out there. The secret there. is out. She's in the, her visage is in the artwork. Uh, and it's, uh, you're holding a book of postcards. Uh, and of course, each of those postcards also have uh, their uh, counterpart as collector's postcards for The Truth Is Out There. That's right. But one of them is you at Dragon Con in Atlanta. Uh-huh. And you're in the postcard uh, that you are yourself holding. It's very self-reflective. Wow. Uh, and you are standing next to two people dressed as Spocks. And one of them is young Miss Erin Petrullis. That's right. And the other I, may or may not be a podcast co-host. I just don't, I'm not <laughs> saying. Spock with a beard. It could be Spock with a beard. The evil Spock. So happy birthday. Happy birthday, Erin. Erin. Fantastic. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> Stay in school. Don't do crack. It's a ghetto drug. Unless it's Cake crack. Cake. Yeah. yeah. Well, birthday, birthday I guess. So, crack. okay, today, fine. Tomorrow, just say no. <laughs> That's so helpful. You are the advice that we're looking for. Uh, I don't know where to begin. I, why don't we start, though, with the fact that it is President's Day? Yes. Because I have... It used to be different birthdays. It used to be Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday was a week later. And yeah. then we just combined them all into a President's Day and just took the day off. And we don't even say happy birthday to those guys anymore. Well, and Tucker Smallwood's birthday used to be on Lincoln's birthday. Ah, so I now- guess it still is, which is Wednesday. <laughs> it's this coming Wednesday. But he hey, it. if we celebrate all the presidents on Monday, then I'm celebrating Tucker's birthday on Monday. But there well. you go. There That's you go. how it works. So what you're saying is that the party was way off, and also just you just days. wish. Wished him on the wrong day. But many people might listen to this on Wednesday, in which case it will be the day. Right, so email him Many happy returns of the day. (laughs) 
you know, we've talked a little bit about presidents and presidential lore before, but I thought uh, this was kind of an interesting just coincidence. Are you going to bring up Andrew Jackson's dueling again? No. No. I watched, as you know, much material given to us by our friend Ron Garner. Yes. uh, At at, uh, Stargate Productions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, ran into him again at... uh, The Expo... Conscious Life Conscious Expo Life gave me Expo. a bunch of uh, DVDs of, uh, and we're going to be meeting with him to discuss uh, a couple different ideas uh, of doing something with this wealth of uh, UFO interview material, interviews by people who not only have had experiences but whistleblowers, uh, people in the government, uh, in the military, right. and he's got uh, just a treasure trove of not only video footage but transcripts of interviews and of court cases and, and documents and what could we turn into in terms of a, of a story out of this. Right. So we're going to meet with him. But one of the pieces that I saw that was actually produced by Open Minds ah. and of course Open Minds the magazine and yes. Open Minds Radio and Open Minds TV uh, now run the UFO, International UFO Congress where right. I am on my way to as soon as this show is over. You rented a car. You drove here for an odd reason. And I'm and driving then, to... You're getting on the 10 and you're staying on the 10 for five hours till you get to Phoenix. Probably, well, if you drive. If a normal person drives, obeying the the laws of oh, the, the, the road, please. it's seven hours because indeed it's Fountain Hills, Arizona. So you got to go all the way through Phoenix, which is the real hard part. Oh, yeah, that is Because the hard they're, part. they're always doing construction. And yes. Always, but so, the state is broke, so I imagine all construction is stopped, all roadside. But I feel that that might be worse because if it's broke, don't fix it. No, I <laughs> no. If it's broke, that means that the, the uh, roads are in horrible condition, and they probably just left their equipment where it was. <laughs> so I feel like there's a slalom in place. Ah, uh, fantastic. But one, but uh, Open Minds produced a, a show, and yes. it was all about uh, presidential. UFO ah. lore. The one that everyone seems to know about is uh, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, yes. That's the one. He, and he promised, of course, going into office that he was going to create full disclosure. Yeah. And then nothing happened. Nothing happened. And because there's a larger thing at work than Well, just a lot of people president. talk about what, why maybe he didn't. But what, you know, is uh, was kind of stunning to me is how many presidents were interested in this. And the president who was most interested in this... <laughs> Was Ronald Reagan, who had three UFO sightings in his life? I did not know three. You, uh, you can find, uh, in fact, uh, in um, Lucille in Ball's do- uh, bio- autobiography, ah. she talks about uh, Reagan coming into a party and sharing an experience that he had just had outside. And really? this was when he was governor. Oh yeah, uh, Merv Griffin, who of course was very close friends with the Reagans, talked about another experience that Reagan shared. Hmm. He was very interested in this stuff, and of course he evoked constantly uh, UFO and alien references, especially in uh, the lead-up to Glasnost. Yes. You know, uh, talking about if there was... These speeches are available. If there were an alien presence that announced itself that was revealed... Imagine how quickly we would all come together as one people and realize we are all one people. Absolutely. And when he he did drastic cuts across the board, the one funding body that he actually increased was uh, for SETI, the Search for Intelligent uh, Life in the Universe. So he was the one that actually 
Interesting. their funding when he cut back on all other social services in his first couple of years in office. It was the one because he wanted to be the president that greeted the aliens if they came during the administration. And of course, so much of this is anecdotal, but yes. one of the, the stories is involves when Spielberg went to the White House to premiere E.T., uh-huh. you know how the private screenings at the, at the White House screening room, uh, and Ronald Reagan apparently, you know, uh, said to Steven Spielberg, uh, "It's it, it, you know, it amuses me that most people, not in a harsh way, but just, mo- you know, just it, it. He was, I don't know, he wasn't disturbed, but he was kind of am- amazed that most people would see that film and not know how accurate it is." Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that was kind of the expression. Uh, but this, so I saw this Open Minds piece on on presidential UFO lore, and uh, one of the things that was interesting, uh, and of course we're talking about presidents, at least in this uh, show, of course, from the late 40s on, because right. that's the modern age of, of you know, yeah, the UFO era, yes. so Truman onward. Um, but the belief within, you know, the UFO circles that Republican presidents are given disclosure, they are told, and Democratic presidents are not. <laughs> really? Which is interesting. That which, is interesting. You know, suddenly Jimmy Carter says, I'm going to blow the lid off it. And, yeah. then, and then nobody uh, tells him anything. And of course, it's much darker than that. It kind of, you know, the Republican presidents are hipped to, hey, this is what's going on, and this is the shadow government at work, and uh, yeah, here's how low down the rung you are, but out of respect, we're letting you know what's going on. Right. And they don't give that respect to Democrats. Of course, Truman was a Democrat, and the stories go that he went and, in fact, did have, uh, you know, meetings and, and, and disclosure. Right. Um, Because the concept of need to know, need to know basis, extends uh, all the way past the president, as it were. Because these, uh, you know, technically these are temporary guys just coming through uh, an institution that has been there for hundreds of years, or some would say thousands. So that our political system is not just a revolving door of a bunch of guys that get to know everything. They're a revolving door of a small number of people that then are in, uh, you know, meeting with staffers, like lifelong uh, Pentagon officials and and, uh, uh, Homeland Security guys that, you know, aren't going to tell these temporary workers anything, I would think. Uh, The the piece that kind of uh, (laughs) amused me uh, was about... Marilyn being a threat, Marilyn Monroe being a threat because JFK had revealed to her the actual uh, secrets n- secrets regarding UFOs. <laughs> and she wow. was a, a threat because she was a she was loose lips, sink ships, right? She was a leak. And she was going to blab this stuff? So she needed to be... Uh, taken out needed to be silenced and before you uh, mm. respond to this in this open minds piece our friend Richard Dolan is there saying this is a very credible theory really because I would think that you could uh, diminish the blonde actress uh, with a, a slight uh, derision uh, derisive comment uh, a mocking joke or something and she would be uh, her information would be null and void and as we know, 
in this industry, the history of her uh, behavior on sets, her um, emotional life, leading up to even before the Kennedys entered into it, um, this woman did not need to be taken out. <laughs> right. You know, she had it have whatever theory you want. This was someone who was destined for an early exit. Right. Yeah, she wasn't healthful living. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so fascinating stuff, though. The the uh, Open Minds video on, uh, you know, okay. presidential uh, lore with, uh, with UFOs. Uh, there you go. Um, you say we never talk conspiracies on this show. Who says that? I don't know. That's a conspiracy right ah. there that we never talk conspiracies, and let's put an end to it. I, I, or I never said anything. Or let's turn up the heat ah. on it. Uh, so I am going to the 2012 International UFO Congress Fantastic. in Fountain Hills, Arizona. We have a free screening tomorrow night. Wow. Uh, 7 p.m. Uh, hopefully we'll have a second screening added either Thursday or Friday night. Right. Going to be uh, seeing uh, some of our old friends, including David Sarita, who's yet to see the film. Ah, so good fantastic. In it. So that's going to be fun. Tell him I say hi. I'm also going to Tucson yes. to stay with uh, Two Shaman. Uh, with whom I've done work in the past, and I'm going to be doing some shooting for uh, Truth Is Out There too. Truth Is Out There, Ancient Mysteries. So we got a lot going on this wow. week. You, of course, are packed up. Packed up. You are on your way to Galaxy Fest. Galaxy Fest in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I'll be all weekend uh, signing. 24th through the 26th. People can find the details at galaxyfest.org. Yes, I'll be doing an improv show with uh, both Claudia Christian and Denise Crosby and I all on the same stage. Wow. We did it once many years ago in uh, Long Island, New York. Swore never to do it again. Swore never to do it again and yet here we are. And I'll be doing a benefit at a comedy club Monday night in Colorado Springs as well. Uh, The name of that comedy club, I'm not actually confirmed yet. But I know I said yes to it. So you will be. So we have a very exciting next next Monday. Right is the Oscars. Yeah, the Sunday's do, the Oscars. The Sunday is the Oscars. Monday, Monday is our traditional is our annual post Oscar SmackDown. <laughs> SmackDown. It's the closest we come to a game show. Yep. Where uh, we go through the Oscars in order of the telecast. I got my ballot we, right here. We snark about the show. show. The decisions that were made in terms yes. of who to award, and we reveal who we predicted would win the award. Right. So we will be exchanging ballots after we get off uh, our recording today. Yes. Uh, we will exchange ballots. You'll have mine with you there in Colorado. Very good. You'll call me via Skype. I will. We will the next day. Uh, go over the whole show. We will go through our ballots in the order that the awards were presented. We will see who predicted more correctly. And this year, instead of big money wagering. No big money wagering this year. It's really, there's something at stake. <laughs> there is year. something at stake. Uh, there is something definitely at stake. It's two hours of our life. We have decided yes. that if Dean Hagland wins yes. this year by picking more. Right. More correct. Then... I will sit down with him yes. at a time of his choosing <laughs> and watch Phantom of the Paradise. That's right. Brian De Palma's first and best ever film starring, from 1974. Starring a bunch of... Is it Paul Williams? Is oh, Paul it? Williams. Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. Paul Williams. And he wrote all the music for it, too. It's a rock musical extravaganza, Phantom of the Paradise. From Canada, I believe. Is it? In no. Can- no, it's not Canadian. No, no, no. It's, it's just only Canadians that like it. It was only Winnipeggers that liked it. <laughs> 
<laughs> not, even, not even Canada. Lord. It was only Winnipeggers. That's the only place the movie was a hit. And if Phil Ernest wins, yes. then at a time and place of Phil Ernest's choosing, Dean Haglund will sit down with him and will watch the two-hour pilot. <laughs> oh my God, I, thought it, I thought it was only an hour. Of David Lynch's seminal... Oh. Series Twin Peaks. God, after being in that town twice now with you, <laughs> I could probably reenact it. Frankly, uh, so would that be fun? Yes, David so Duchovny in a dress. Uh, we well, he's not in the first season. Oh, even, he's not. So you don't see that. Okay, no, okay great. No, no, no. Thank God. Again, okay. you've seen that enough. <laughs> Whoa, another conspiracy the theory. Conspiracy. That, uh, so that's what. Uh, so that's what you're going to be in uh, Colorado. And, of course, you're showing The Truth is Out there showing on the truth Sunday. Sunday, yes, that's going to be good, too. Um, uh, that will be a screening in the evening, 7 p.m., if I'm not mistaken. All the information, you are course, mis- You are mistaken. It's Sunday morning. Sunday morning is what I meant. Yeah. Bright and early. It is bright and early. Yeah. How early? I think the movie starts at something like 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. <laughs> oh, yeah, fortunately for you, it's a long enough movie where you can go back to bed, go back to bed, and then be ready for the Q and A. Wow! Uh, also, setting up screening or setting up screenings all over. Great! But uh, very excited. Uh, the first week of May, first nine, ten days of May. It, it looks like I've got screenings all over the UK. I'm what? doing a UK barnstorming tour. Fantastic! Uh, and so, uh, you know, we'll be previewing those, including in Birmingham with the Birmingham UFO group. Look at that. You got contact with Speaking them. Speaking up, uh, contact. You Let's, contact with them. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so looking forward to that. But one of the things that I'm, I'm most looking forward to about that uh, trip, uh, going to Lincolnshire, the beautiful countryside of Lincolnshire, to University of Lincoln. Uh-huh. Where well, you know how I love college screenings, I, and we'll be screening uh, "Truth Is Out There." Yeah, I will also be in studio finally uh, as a co-presenter with your on mind. the midweek drive, <laughs> Alex Lefchuk's midweek drive. Uh, of course, uh, on which I am a contributor. Yes, almost every week. Right. Uh, I hope the other co-presenters, the, we'll the lovely, young, and talented co-presenters on that show, uh, Katie Grimison, Natalie Tuck, uh, Tiffany Freeman, I hope that they understand that the reason I will be there at 5, 6, 7 p.m. in the evening in my pajamas is because that is just how I have grown accustomed to doing, to the, show. doing the show out here, where, of course, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Right, and you're still in your jammies, so, so why I, not? I, I hope it doesn't make anyone too uncomfortable. I don't think so. Just wear a bathrobe. That's what they do. That would be good, yeah. yeah. Not a smoking jacket? Not a smoking jacket. Okay. That's weird. Because that I will have says, a pipe, uh, <laughs> but it'll be empty. Right, full uh-huh. of bubbles. Uh, so, you know, they, uh, uh, Alex, uh, really listens to Chill Pack Hollywood. Uh-huh. Hour. Uh, Thank you, Alex. part of the... Uh, ongoing. The ongoing... What's, on what's the thing about the friendship between the... Uh, what, what do they call the friendship? The relationship between uh, Great Britain and uh, the U.S.? What is the, the ally, the, uh, the mutual... Know. Assured the destruction? No. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. Mutually assured handshakes. I don't know. It was something about the friendship that we have, the longstanding friendship. And I think it goes back to a Churchill quote, and boy, we're revealing how Uh, poorly educated we are. But, uh, yes, the transatlantic alliance that is your Chilpak Hollywood Hour and the Midweek Drive uh, is certainly... 
Alex keeps his end up, as <laughs> as the saying would go, by listening to the show all the time, and he's uh, he's really encouraged his young co-presenters to listen as well. Aww. And uh, they listened last week, and one of the uh, pieces about it, I could tell that they We're they didn't enjoy the fact that it's. It's so much about show business. Uh, you know, <laughs> is, Hollywood is one of the three words in the title. Yeah, how did yeah. they not see that coming? Did they want uh, more Chill Pack That talk? would be like saying, I, I really wish Chill Pack Hollywood Hour wasn't an hour. <laughs> uh, but uh, they they did find interesting uh, what we were talking about, about uh, Hollywood, Los Angeles, having a history. John K. Steele, Said the your same friend, thing. Uh, came out and was you know so surprised at how much history Los Angeles has. Right. Because you think of it both in terms of its relative youth, but also in terms of, I think, that image that's created of, you know... Beverly Hills and that you tear down anything. Everything and everyone being given multiple facelifts. Right, right. right? There are facelifts upon the facelifts. Right, and that we don't value architectural heritage. We don't uh, value our heritage. Theoretically. But Uh, there's that image. And yet uh, he comes here and he realizes, no, there is a great deal of history. Right. And And that's my walking tour. My one-hour downtown walking tour reveals much of that glorious history to each and everyone who joins us. And I brought up last week, you know, the idea that that maybe one of the reasons it has this, uh, in part, uh, has this reputation is because this has always been an oasis for people to come to this day to reinvent themselves. Right. That you... You do leave a past a history a tradition your high school your failed business in kansas city whatever or or businessmen who came here and founded that right you know the dream factory here it was it was fresh snow and that was why they were drawn here and Mm -hmm. that is still the reason that people are are drawn here uh but you know what's fascinating to me was, uh, you, you know, my New Year's resolution to read 25 pages a day. And, right. and we've been talking about what we've been reading. Yes. And I just finished today The Wayfinders. The Wayfinders. Why Wayfinders. Ancient Wisdom Matters in the Modern World. Yes. By Canadian Wade Davis. Wade Davis. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's been a fascinating read, especially leading in into head. Truth is Out There, Ancient Mysteries, as we and ancient wisdom, and, and we ask the question of how does knowledge, how does wisdom get lost over time? And is that a conspiracy? Why might it serve us that right. this gets lost? Um, but uh, one of the themes that's explored in this book uh, that really made me look at this issue of where we live and this idea of Los Angeles not having a history but truly having a history uh, it made me look at it in a, in a fresh perspective was actually an issue in this book that came up. Um, and it's, uh, it's this idea of how industrialized societies, right. when encountering for the last several hundred years, and still true to a degree to this day, though it's beginning to shift over the last 40 years, right? Um, especially with kind of that image of the moon, of the Earth rising over the moon right. on the Apollo mission when we first saw Earth oh, rise. Right, from our distance. You know, yeah. and we realized, oh, that is one biosphere. That is one planet, Little, one small hole. blue marble. Um, and it is fragile and it is precarious. So this, this, this is beginning to change. But through the last few hundred years, when an industrialized, a quote-unquote modern society encountered a tribal or an ancient society, they viewed it through the prism of what they knew, which was technological advancement. 
Right. They viewed modernization. They viewed advancement. They viewed complexity. They viewed culture through the prism of a technological society. Right. And so, therefore, these other societies seemed primitive, which belied the fact that they were incredibly complex and complicated. And advanced, technically. Or advanced culturally. Culturally advanced. Culturally advanced. And uh, and one of the things that comes through again and again for me in reading this uh, in, in reading this book and reading these accounts um, is how many of these cultures w- their complexities were so foreign because they did not have a linear view of history ah. to them. Many of these cultures, it's amazing how many cultures did not have a word that meant time. Uh-huh. And therefore, there is no idea of past, past or, future. or future because the past, the present, and the future interweave in every moment. Right. The past is always with them. They live mythologically in a past that is alive. Which is relative to quantum mechanics. And is relative, it seems to me, to where we live, to Los Angeles, to ah. the history. You say in The Truth is Out There, the excitement of, you don't say... That across the street is where Harold Lloyd hung from the clock tower and then would be forgotten about and then died, and he's a man from the past. And that's where United Artists was built, uh, and all those people are dead. You actually say, pointing across the street, that's Harold Lloyd. That's you look behind me, that's Marion Davies and United Artists. You say, that's the history, and it's going on. All around us. Because truly it is, if you think about the culture of Hollywood, this dream factory, right. which would be a concept that these tribal people could would, totally relate to. Could totally relate to. Think that of you, dream time. Dream time, right? That you work within a dreamscape. Uh, and th- and a these pre-conscious are area. ghosts. We go to the Egyptian. We go to these theaters and we see Humphrey Bogart up on screen. Right. It's a physical screening of these actors and doing their work. And he's still interacting with us. It's there. He's still moving us. He's still teaching us. He's still inspiring us. He is alive. You cannot deny when you see. You're not watching a dead person. Right. You're watching a live person. You're, the ghost has come to life. And so hmm. we are constantly interacting with that history. Wow. It is not past. And, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the darker, if we could call it, uh, examples of this are, hey, let's remake a Hitchcock film. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Which we might talk about later in the show because they're remaking Suspicion. No, they're but, not. But, but it is interesting, is it, is it not, that this is always, it is... All around us, what can we build with it? Absolutely. It is our currency that we work with here, and particularly in Hollywood, based on the idea that all young filmmakers look at old films to learn from, to teach from. Each one takes, uh, you know, some master, like everybody is either a Hitchcock fan or a Glenn Ford fan or whatever. And in fact, just yesterday, I was talking to a screenwriter who could quote at length Hemingway. And this is the same thing that, wow. you know, this, this, that he was taking life lessons from Hemingway, which may or may not be a good idea. Right. But at that time, he had Hemingway as his personal teacher, even though I never yes. met him. But this is this idea of that history, that the 
timeline is, and he, it wasn't talking about him like, yeah, I read a book a long time ago. It is, you know, Hemingway, as if Hemingway it's just said to carry me, on a conversation. Carry on a conversation with a, right there. That is not past or present. It's within And this all is the something same. that, uh, you know, Lee McCloskey and, and we have talked about before, that, you know, we are a link in a chain. And uh, sometimes maybe, maybe the most important conversation we have with our work is with other artists. And it's with other artists that have yet to be. Uh, but it's also to carry on a conversation with the artists that have. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you, you don't carry on the conversation. It always annoys me how many filmmakers, for example, will think that they're carrying on the conversation by... Uh, Redoing? Or, no, by, by criticizing it. Ah. Oh, that filmmaker, that, you know, whatever, just critiquing it. I mean, that can be part of it, obviously. Right. But uh, if, if I have, let's say, material with an artist's expression, for whatever reason, be it a structural, structural mm-hmm. material, or, you know, this, this would have been much more interesting told in this way. Right. Or I might, as a human being take exception to the way the themes are being expressed. It may not be what I know to be the truth about humanity right? Uh, in a particular set of circumstances. Okay, fine. Have that conversation. Critique it. Uh, write a review. Do whatever it is. Write a blog. At the same time, though, tell a story. Tell a story. Pick up that story and make that culturally And that's how you carry on that conversation. Yes. And that keeps, again, the past alive and again, also kind of eliminates the idea of past, present, and future. It's true. Because as you say, and truth is out there, it's all around us. It's and all it's around just us. going to continue. You know, a perfect example of that is Da Vinci. Da Vinci uh, felt his society was filled with, quote unquote, mostly latrine fillers. And so oh. his whole conversation, his writing, everything backwards, his codexes, he only painted 17 pictures in his lifetime. All of these things were for future generations to discover. It was very much, even his assistants were always uh, teenagers that he handed his work to saying, you will be the person responsible for pasting these into books and cataloging this and publishing this for future generations. So his conversation was two, three hundred years down the road in in a Renaissance society. And, you know, as you know, so often the importance of carrying on conversation is to try to understand the conversation in the language of the people who are speaking it. Right. Things, the beauty is what's lost in translation. (laughs) And uh, uh, so it's really interesting in this book, The Wayfinders, you know, people have uh, pretty much grokked to the idea that our biosphere is... um, it's fragile. It's fragile. Uh, and yet, they don't think in terms of our ethnosphere, as it's called, which is our cultural inheritance, uh. as opposed to our biological inheritance. Um, and what is fascinating is the most alarmists, uh, most alarmist of all scientists, would be hard-pressed to really convince you, or themselves, that even 50% of the biosphere could be lost. Now, that's still an extraordinary amount. Yeah. But that's their worst-case doomsday scenario is 50% of the biosphere could be lost. Right. In terms of ethnosphere, that's the best-case scenario because we are losing a language on this planet 
Every two weeks. Every two weeks. There was 6,000, uh, first cataloged, so there's 6,800 languages. And, 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 they're, and they're dying out. I mean, think of that. Every two weeks, an elder of it, a society who is the last that speaks a language... Becomes mute. Um, dies, yeah. and the language is lost, lost with, with it. Them. And when we lose a language, we lose the way uniquely that that culture dreams. Right. Whatever you mean by dream. Um, and My friend in New York who ran the uh, New York Public Library Jewish section had a Yiddish speaking group to keep uh, the language of the Yiddish alive strictly because there was so much comedy and literature and art written in the literature. Not the Hebrew, but the uh, but the more slang version of the Yiddish. And that, to me, was fascinating, that they had a little group that met in Brooklyn and they would all speak Yiddish and, and read the art. And that was the thing. It was about the art of that whole... Uh, time of like 200 years of Yiddish culture. It's, it's, it's to keep alive literally how we dream. And, and why is that important? Because how we dream and what we dream and why we dream is what reveals to us what it means to be human. It's, it's as simple as that. And, and that's why Hollywood is called the Dream Factory. Well, yes. But at the same time, I worry now that we are, look at our podcast. This is all digital on a laptop here. It goes out in these uh, but that's machines. Still a dream. But that's a dream. It's a dream, but it's all digital. It's binary dreams that one day that machine will not be able to read that binary stuff. And that's, um, and that's fine. But people will still carry on conversations about the conversations you and I have had. I guess so. And it is a dream. You know, it is a dream. You don't remember every detail of a dream when, you, when we awake. It I know. Is, it is lost. But it, it but again, these questions of how and why and what. When you see a movie, even a movie you love, what you remember are moments. You don't even tend to remember story. You True. remember moments. You Absolutely. remember how they made you feel and, and what inspired in you. And this is why, again, the conversation that always uh, baffles me, the conversation of, oh, I just want to be entertained. You know, about these things, it's like that should, we are professional storytellers. That is the least we should be offering you. Is what it, we should be offering you, though, I, I feel to warrant our position is not just something that diverts you from your life, but something that hopefully hopefully reminds you why that life is worth living in the first place. That's right. Um, Which is why, again, then you go back to the big hit movie of our time right now, The Artist, a silent movie based in uh, early 1920s. I mean, the movie was set for... Not a hit movie. It still is not a hit movie. It has still made the least money of any Best Picture nominee. Is that right? Even though it's about to win... Oh, Best Picture. Jeez, I just gave away Ah, one of them. I had to pick two. Uh, but it, why then? Why would it be one that uh, is both struggling to find an audience and is one that the industry is embracing with these awards? Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because you've got, on the one hand, the commercial arm, the corporate arm of uh, big business. That has taken over this. That doesn't theater. necessarily know how to market it. Mm-hmm. That isn't even putting it into many theaters. I mean, hello, here's another thing. You want it to find box office, release it places other than the big cities. <laughs> Give people a chance. To take a look at it. And uh, meanwhile, you've got the industry, though, at the same time, the left hand is embracing it while the right hand doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, interesting. But the left hand is embracing it because, again, there is this knowing in all of us when we saw it, it isn't about, oh, it's about making movies. We love movies about making movies. Yeah, it's not about We that. love dreams that connect us 
with why we dream in this particular medium in the first place. Exactly. It it restores us to why we do this. That's why we as a community love it. Uh, and who I think the the larger community of uh, America and around the world uh, would love it because oh by the way it is entertaining. Right. <laughs> I like to be entertained. That's right. So Hey, you know, I instead of taking a break this week, yes, uh, as we break. usually do, I we wanted it. I wanted to uh, ask you about a quote that I read. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you about a quote I just said when I said no, uh, no. <laughs> uh, Albert Einstein's quote, and I posted oh, yeah. this on my page on Facebook. Oh, right, which and I didn't read. Uh, it read it led to some disagreement. Oh. Um, but Einstein said the intuitive mind mm-hmm. is a sacred gift, yeah, and the rational mind mm-hmm. is a faithful servant. Yeah. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Ah, Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. And some people wanted uh, immediately, and I was waiting for this, <laughs> they said this is no longer true. Because look at our con- contemporary life. We have science being rejected. We've got, uh, you know, the religious right. We've got evangelicals. We've got, you know, people teaching that uh, man and dinosaurs walked the earth at the same time. We've got, yeah. you know, it's 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 a rejection of the rational mind. Yeah, no, they still that's still within a rational realm. That's that. I mean, there. Take it home, Dean Hackland. <laughs> that. The idea of rational being scientifically advanced aren't necessarily... That's only one rationale. That's just one rationale. And so these right-wing questions that say, you know, whatever, dinosaurs, whatever line they're taking is still a rational thought, even if it's wrong. How about we, again, talk about all the uh, science... That has been disproven. And that has been, yeah, that right? was embraced. That was rationally arrived at yep. and then turned out not to be an accurate uh, depiction of what was really going on. Absolutely. It was a rational answer arrived at based on a certain understanding, a certain observation, right. a certain ability to... Uh, measure observation in these things. Egg yolks had cholesterol, therefore that gave you high cholesterol. Don't eat egg yolks, just eat egg whites. Now that's proven it's wrong because uh, the cholesterol in the egg yolk doesn't necessarily translate to LDLs or HDLs in your bloodstream. Right. So, you know, the body processes it and it turns out different in your bloodstream. But yet, for a long time, and still, uh, egg white omelets are all the rage because of that fear of the egg yolk filled with cholesterol that's rational yet incorrect and and i would say that again we we have it as this uh it it is all my rationale versus your rationale is every debate right now right and again if the rational mind could be a servant to intuition i think much more could be accomplished take for example the climate change debate right right if if you were we, we've met people, we, uh, there's people we really respect who absolutely believe that uh, climate change or global warming, as it was inaccurately described, global uh, is, is, uh, you know, is, is not true, right? right? And they have rationale behind it to defend it. The conversation would be a great deal different, would it not, if you took these people of good conscience around a table and you said this something along the lines of 
we know that life is constantly speeding up. We feel it. Do we, we feel not? It, yes. We we each and every one of us at this table feel with each passing week, month, and year that we have less and less time to accomplish the more and more and more that we feel we need to right. do. We look at the world and everything is everything is sped. Everything is sped up, right? We make faster cars, faster trains, faster air flights, which allow us to get places better, which creates greater productivity. Of course, if we'd never achieved those speeds, the amount we would need to produce would be less. The amount of resources we would use would be less, less, right? right? We all intuitively sense this. We all have this desire if we could just slow things down. Get six months uh, into us somewhere. So our intuitive knowing of how much things are speeding up then finds its partner, finds its mirror in society where weather is concerned Mm. with a unprecedented speeding up of weather patterns. Uh, patterns that change so rapidly. Winter comes way too early. Right. Uh, summer Spring. comes way too late. Spring comes way too late. Things are... We, Trees uh, bud in February. That sort of thing. You know, and we, so we see that, we understand, and we, we can intuitively connect with that. Right. Because we know that this is going on in our own lives, so it's going on in the collective. So you're saying that if we change the conversation of gl- climate change from intuitive, from rational... That then we would change our relationship. Just to the it. emphasis. If mm. if if we could all find what we intuitively agree upon, right, and then use our rationale to support how we might be able to address this, might be able to redeem it, right. Also, uh, that becomes the thing. I mean, what what stands in the way so often of getting anywhere is the idea that anyone is to blame, that someone has to be to blame, that this is a problem. Uh, You know, again, reading Wayfinders, um, so many people in our culture want to immediately turn around and point the finger at our own of look how we've raped the world. Look at what we've done. We are the villains. We are the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of want to counteract the centuries of treating uh, native people, indigenous people, tribal cultures, treating them as savages, treating them as primitive. barbarians, beating, uh, treating them as primitive, or just thinking of them as simplistic. Right. And then we, we now want to react to that of turning around and putting all this you know, blood on our hands and saying for 400 years our industrialized society has uh, been the villain. Right. In this story. Huh. As opposed to, no, it is, the, the whole point is all of these cultural expressions are valid. Getting back to that conversation of valid and value. They all have value. They are all honest, authentic expressions of what it means to be human. Right. The native tribes that still exist... Uh, that especially in the equatorial belt uh, at the top of the world, these mountain tribes, um, often refer to the industrialized people of the world as the little brothers Ah. and the tribal people as the older brothers. And it is not pejorative. It's a a 
first of all, we're part of the same family. Right, we're all related. They love us like they love little brothers. Right. And they understand that the younger people in a family generally are marked by being curious, by being clever, right. by wanting to prove that cleverness, by exploring their curiosity. And the older siblings are often uh, struck with a, a an innate sense of responsibility to those that have come before. Right. To, a sensei, as it were. To the homestead. To, to being a conscientious gardener of that which was planted before them and will continue to grow after them. Right. And if anything, they feel that they have failed us, which is very interesting. But, mm. it's, the, but it's this idea that, that you need both, that both are authentic expressions. And I don't even know what, what l- led me into that, but, but it is this, again, this idea of... Intuitive. Of it needs to be intuitive because if you're looking to, oh, there's a problem, therefore someone must have caused the problem. Right. You're, that is going to stand in the way of a solution. Which is because now you're going to argue over whose fault it is, if it is anybody's fault, and uh, what do we do about the fact that it was their fault and all of this. And it said, no, look, this is what's going on. We intuitively know that something's happening. How can we all use our unique expertise, our unique rational minds to, to address, address what we intuitively know is happening? And speak to that to grow forward. That, to me, is the biggest problem with conspiracy theories, is that intuitively we know something's up. And yet, and then we go and assign blame and put a rational because of this and this proves that and that sort of thing. And then at the end of it, there's no growth that can come from a conspiracy theory so far as other than I told you so when it has finally disclosed to be true. And here would be a gift of, for me, and you know I, I do, uh, I am concerned about climate change. Mm-hmm. I, this, is a, this is real, I, I, you know, global weirding as we talked about. Right. And uh, it, it, I don't necessarily buy the, uh, some of the most doomsday scenarios. I don't necessarily, you know, these things. But life on this planet is, is shifting uh, rapidly. rapidly. People of New Orleans could certainly speak to this, could they not? People uh, in tsunamis, uh, Haiti. People can talk about uh, how rapidly life can undergo a major alteration because of these incredibly shifting climate patterns. Okay. One of the things that I do appreciate about the rejection of climate change science on the part of... uh, certain portions of the population is that it does caution us it does give us pause from making a mistake that we make altogether too often science cannot be the solution to bad science (laughs) right more science doesn't fix if we are right in saying that our Technology, our industrialization, our rampant use of natural resources has, at the very least, sped up this climate shift. To automatically buy in that science and technology and industrialization will be the solution to the problem that science, technology, and industrialization caused... That gives me pause. Absolutely. And it gave pause to the very first theoretical physicist, Albert Einstein, which is why his quote in the first place is intuitive 
serves the rational servant or the rational servant serves the intuitive gift. Right. 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 That's the thing. It's as you said, so that we will never have science solving science. It has to come from an intuitive point, which is what his breakthroughs were in the first place when he was 26 years old. He wrote four papers that then he worked for the rest of his life to prove. Four papers when he was 26 years old and a patent clerk in Switzerland. Think of that. This, How intuitive is that guy? This is already one of our most interesting shows ever, don't you think? I we mean, are the most interesting men. Most interesting <laughs> podcasters in the world. We're the Podfathers. Podfathers. The Chill Pack Hollywood live event of the week. A uh, live event of the week. Oh, I uh, we got to get go? to it. I uh, saw LMNOP ah. at uh, <laughs> South Coast Rep. Yeah, uh, fun show. Uh, it was a very funny show. Right. Don't get me wrong. And kind of a sitcom. Uh huh. Stage sitcom. Uh, and but uh, as always, I love finding performers that I've never seen before. There is a woman in this show, uh, Katrina Link, Ooh. who. Uh, won every kind of L.A. stage award for playing Linda Lovelace on stage. Ah, yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, she's phenomenal. Really? I'm a huge Katrina Link fan. Wow. There you go. Um, But a couple of uh, issues uh, relating to the live event of the week that I want to uh, follow up on. What happened? When when I saw art. Yes. And I told you about how, you know, you see the painting. Yeah. And it kind of, and you told me about uh, productions where the fourth wall was the painting. Yeah. So it was invisible to the audience. Yeah. And it also, of course, created more More engagement with the actors. Uh, and the production I saw, you see the painting and you've got a problem because... You're looking some, at the back of the actors. And some people actually think it's a good painting. So you're suddenly siding. Already. Or you know it's a bad painting. So you're siding. It's much more interesting. Again, getting back to everything we've discussed, you don't see the painting. Right. You just learn about these people through how they debate it and how they mistreat each other because of their differing opinions. Right. And, uh, but... Uh, uh, what was interesting to learn was that the production I saw was directed by the creator of Frasier, David Lee. Oh. So a man who has worked in television. Television, of course. Quite extensively. Where you show everything. And the idea of that fourth wall, using that, I think on television, other than a comedian doing a monologue, you'd never have never. been looking back yeah. at That's the audience. That's the worst. So... Um, and of course, David Lee's done other theater, but it is interesting how sometimes your greatest strengths can become your weaknesses. Isn't that because he he wouldn't go to that thought, right? Isn't that something? Which is so weird to me because that to me is a theatrical thought, I and mean, to me, art is all about a theater piece and how you know. I, I I'm flabbergasted when there's not fourth wall use in a theater piece, even if it's a, like you know. Not look addressing just an invisible wall. When yeah, you're playing a it's room. so interesting. It's so interesting and yet so necessary because if you're just looking at three walls, you uh, so cut off the audience from an experience. When you're in a like a house, you you're looking at all the walls. You know, right. So it's just a question of staging and directing. I, uh, you know, uh, Circle Mirror Transformation yes, was that one show. of my favorite shows ever saw. You loved it as well. Uh, the director of it, Sam Gold, who yes. then directs a Seminar, seminar on Broadway, which, which you talked about. Jerry O'Connell and uh, Alan uh, Rickman. Alan Rickman. He has just been signed by UTA to direct movies. No. Yeah. Really? 
Let's see how that goes. Yeah, we should get him on this show. Yeah, I talked to him about what that jump's going to be. What's his first project? Yeah. Because, you know, his directing to me is very much about uh, very smart pacing. Because it's uh, he's very good with the, the wit. And then he gives air for the actors to breathe before the next section. So he, he works very good it's in It's why, again, with Circle Mirror Transformation, which is such a wonderful text, he was he was the perfect director. He had to be the director for that because the playwright, Annie Baker, actually built in all those pauses right. into the text. Right. And so you have to understand why those pauses Define are there. Define the length of the pauses right. also. So, yeah, you needed someone who understood that. And, the, and working in beats. You know, that's a thing in theater that you... That I guess editing sort of doesn't, you don't have to worry about in film, but yet you see directors who do work in, in beats, you know, in scene beats. And, and yet pacing like is, uh, is kind of a lost art in, in, in many films in, in the sense that, again, as technology, technology has sped everything up, especially editing, you, you lose rhythms yeah. because the, 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 Pitfall, the challenge in the editing room, as everything's getting sped up and deadlines are getting sped up and you're working more and more and more and getting more and more done and faster and faster, is ironically what you're watching tends to feel slower than it is. Yeah. So there's so often when I'm watching, especially studio films that are made under this kind of time frame, where there's shot after shot after shot that should be a little longer. Right. They're too short. short. And the pacing is relentless and doesn't have kind of the ebb and flow and the the pleasing arcs to it that certainly character needs to have. Right. And uh, Crank is a great example of that. That movie Crank with uh, Jason. You just said Crank and Great in the same (laughs) sentence. Great example. Stay off Crank, (laughs) Aaron Petrulis. It is not. uh, I'm sorry. And don't watch the sequel either. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we, last five minutes, uh, last five minutes uh, You got so much You got six pages Oh my goodness minutes. Because Chopak Hollywood Hour Lawsuits of the Week Oh my god Are we going to go through that? Uh, well we have to oh, yeah. The Chilpak Hollywood Lawsuit of the Week um, Because I've got two here That are okay, uh, phenomenal um, But I will preface it with That there is a potential lawsuit Going down Regarding the SAG after merger I heard that too Uh, Next week of course Is our Oscar show uh, And it's the same day That the voting information Is sent out To the full membership To vote on merger So the following week We will be addressing The SAG after merger On your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour Goodness Now Two lawsuits. The first one that I addressed last week, federal judge in Louisiana allowing Kevin Costner (laughs) to pursue counterclaims against fellow actor Stephen Baldwin. Baldwin. That was kind to refer to them as fellow actors. They were. An investor and and another investor who is named, I don't need to name the man, in an ongoing lawsuit over whether Costner and his partners, quote, orchestrated a nefarious scheme (laughs) to gain sole interest in oil spill cleanup technology in the wake of the Deepwater Horizon disaster nefarious um so anyway uh the countersuit which we were talking about yeah involves the liability right in any Um, contract uh apparently costner and his partners allegedly tricked baldwin and these other investors into selling back their uh, piece a, a piece of the company that costner had given up 
Um, the two had a company called Ocean Therapies Solutions, which had an exclusive agreement with uh, Costner in North Carolina. That was the name of the company to mm-hmm. market the oil spill technology. I see. And uh, Costner testified before Congress and met with BP officials. His team allegedly told these investors, Baldwin and these investors, uh, that uh, he didn't know that this stuff was going to be bought, that this by BP to use to clean up a spill, even though he did know. Okay. All right. What's fascinating about the liability uh, provision in their contract uh, in this liability release yeah. is that the provision envisioned these dealings. As the judge said, this plainly covers the purchase BP made from them. Oh. So there basically was a liability provision in it that said BP no will. suits can cover BP buying this technology from us because they envisioned that the day would come that they would automatically buy it. BP would. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's fascinating. Now, that is some fortune telling. Uh, well, I don't know if we get time to the second one. Well, we've got to because it's your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour and it involves Chris Pine, oh. Captain Kirk on Star Trek, being sued by his agents, Uh-oh. SDB, oh. an agency I have dealt with before, yeah. uh, friends of mine repped by them. Uh, he, he didn't pay his commission? They... they he left them. Now, it's always been amazing that he's become this huge movie star and was still with a boutique agency, mm-hmm. no matter how many big agencies come knocking on the door going, yeah. you need CAA, CAA you need ICM, right. uh, UTA. And he stayed with them because right. he's loyal, apparently. Loyal, happy. He left them. Yes. and they are, But not to go to another agency. Oh. He only has a manager right ah, now. So he's that big. And they are suing him not only for what they claim are unpaid commissions. But for future earnings. Future earnings. Yes. Because they built his career. Absolutely. It's said by managers in time they don't have a leg to stand on. I've seen that lawsuit many times. And it is simply vindictive, is it not? It is just, it is a breakup. Mm -hmm. Horrible. And they are the jilted lover. With the phrase, you wouldn't be here, you're nothing without me. They released this horrible press release about what a horrible guy Chris Pine is because he didn't even have the decency to call them. He (laughs) broke up with them via email. (laughs) He's a busy man. I would like to, and I'll close the show by uh, reading Chris Pine's full email (laughs) that he sent to his agents. After much thought and consideration, I have decided that it is best for me to leave. I hope that you will understand that this decision was very difficult for me to make because I owe much of the success in my career to all of you. At our last group meeting, I explained that I was frustrated and needed more than I was getting from my agency. I thought that with some time, perhaps my feelings might change, but unfortunately they have not. Please know that I recognize what great advocates you have been for me and that you have invested your time and energy into building my career. None of this do I take lightly or for granted That is why this has been so agonizing for me. I hope that you can respect that my my decision and accept it as final. I wish you, Stephen, Roe, and Susie, nothing but the best. Have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. If you need to discuss anything further, please contact John, his manager. Boy, that is exactly the guy you should be suing and trying to blow up in public. What a monster Chris Pine is. I'm never going to uh, see him as Captain Kirk again. What a horrible ogre 
that, you know, there's nothing worse than being grateful and generous and agonizing over a decision. And then, yeah, yeah. it's true. Well, we'll talk more about that in our next segment of the uh, We won't. Vote. No, yes, we, we won't, won't at all, because won't. next week we learn Oscar whether show. I will be watching the Phantom. cinematic classic <laughs> Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise, or you will be watching the seminal television work, Wasted, the Twin Peaks pilot, which was, of course, released theatrically in Very other countries. True. Yes. I won't make you watch that version, though, Til until then, you, you fall in love with Twin Peaks. <laughs> you can follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Chill Pack Hollywood. Be a liker. See us, uh, of course, at our website, chillpackhollywood.com. Where you can download and stream almost 80 uh, episodes of your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour and, of course, subscribe by iTunes and really simple syndication. Again, that's chillpackhollywood.com. Absolutely. Write us. At uh, chillpackhollywood at yahoo.com. We answer all our emails lovingly. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. You should follow Dean Haglund on Twitter. Colorado Springs is going to be quite the crazy adventure. Absolutely. I'll be a D Haglund. And I'm Phil Lernus. And follow me on my desert adventures as I road trip through Arizona and uh, get abducted by the EBE (laughs) Film Festival at the International UFO Congress. Till next week, I'm Phil Lernus. Dean Haglund. Belated spoiler alert. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.